0: Welcome to the show. You're listening to the Hope Radio Podcast. Stories, interviews, and profiles of courage, triumph, and perseverance. My name is Sean Davis. I happen to be your humble host. And joining me, as always, my beautiful wife, my hostess with the mostest. Her name is?
1: Jess Jen.
0: You like that? You like that <laughs> intro?
1: Yeah, it always makes me laugh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Because yeah. in the midst of a pandemic, laughing is good,
1: yeah, it's good for you.
0: It's it helps to foster
1: hope, yes, it does,
0: just like huga.
1: Oh, yeah, huga,
0: huga, huga mm-hmm. fosters hope, yeah, doesn't it? I think so. I mean, when you go into a house, for those of you that don't know, we flip houses for a living, and huga is the homey. Oh, you just want to lay mm-hmm. down, you instantly feel like soothed. Yes. Your soul, your spirit feels soothed when you walk into a space yes. that's Sooga. did yes. I say it right yes. yeah <laughs> You're pretty good I mean
1: you emphasized some different kind of vowels vowels but yeah <laughs> I know what you mean
0: I like emphasizing different vowels <laughs> okay <laughs> that didn't quite sound right but like you know what I meant yeah <laughs> all right all right so how are you doing in the midst of a pandemic
1: how am I doing?
0: Yeah, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing okay.
0: How you look are- like you're dragging a little bit.
1: Well, yeah, I'm I'm dragging.
0: Not like not like Game of Thrones, Fire Dragon. No, not you know, like Khaleesi that. Dragon.
1: I'm are you so with confused. me? Snap, snap, no, snap, snap. I I told hey, you I'm a little bit Your brain tired. works
0: twenty times faster than mine, and so you're not keep you're not keeping up.
1: I'm not keeping up because I did not know I was gonna be here until just a qu- couple minutes ago.
0: What do you mean?
1: You told me this morning, you're like, we have a show and I'm like,
0: oh. Like two hours ago, I told you. That's not a couple minutes ago.
1: In my mind, it is, but.
0: All right. Well, are you going to rally or what?
1: Yeah, I am I can always rally.
0: I know because, you, well, you got up. I, I got to give you a break. You get up at what? 4.30 in the morning? I get up
1: early and I work out and I already have my day planned and so, yeah.
0: So you've already been up for like seven hours.
1: I know. It's like nap time.
0: Time for bed. <laughs>
1: it's bedtime. <laughs> don't tempt me
0: what else are you gonna do in the midst of a pandemic you got like three workouts a day that you do or at least well I like you do them all in the morning you try to be
1: most mostly like running later but yeah I like getting it done I don't like to think about it
0: well why don't we do this okay just to just to get us in a hope-filled positive uplifting frame of mind Mm
1: -hmm.
0: let's do jokes okay it's joke time
1: Oh gosh, I gotta think about it. Do you want to go joke. first
0: or do you want to go second?
1: You can go first because I've You're to gonna think let me go joke. first? Yeah.
0: That means I win.
1: No, it doesn't. I'm number one. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'll tell my joke first. Here it goes. A turtle is crossing the road when he's mugged by two snails. When the police show up, they ask him what happened. The shaken turtle replies, I don't know. It all happened so fast. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm going to ask you to repeat that joke and slow down because my brain did not. Jennifer. I saw your your mouth moving, but my brain was not processing what you were saying. Sorry. (laughs) Maybe I should have went
0: first. Maybe you should have went first. Okay, go. Why do you always ruin joke time?
1: You talk too fast. That was not fast. I I, I saw your mouth moving, but I couldn't hear the words. I'm going to tell you that
0: (laughs) next time. I saw your mouth moving, but I couldn't hear the words.
1: Okay, go. Do you want to say it again, or do you want to just forfeit? No,
0: I'm over it now. No, I said it. What do you mean forfeit? I got the joke out. How do I forfeit? Just because you want me to, because right now, cognitively, you want me to slow down. Okay. No, it's your turn. My turn? Yeah, your joke turn.
1: Okay. You ready for this? I don't know. (laughs) Okay, here. I gotta compose myself here. Please okay. try. What do you call a sad coffee?
0: I don't know. What?
1: A depresso.
0: I clearly won that one. <laughs> I clearly won the joke game today. <laughs> no. Yes. Mine. I caused- don't even
1: know what you said. <laughs>
0: what? <laughs> oh Lord. <laughs> We are going Corona crazy. <laughs> it has officially happened. I
1: think that was a tie. No. Yeah.
0: No. Do concede want, the do win. Do you want to
1: redo? Do you have another no. one?
0: No. No. I want you to concede the win. I clearly no. won. Your joke was not. I don't not- even know
1: what you said, so I can't even. I just don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> winner. I'm the Winner.
1: No, I think it was about kangaroos or something. What? I don't even remember what you said. It was about turtles and snails. Oh.
0: Lordy. we better move on. We better get to our guest that's coming on. <laughs> hey, if you like this hilarity, I don't I don't know if you're going to like it or not, but if you like it, maybe you love it, you can follow us on Hope Radio Podcast on Instagram. You can also follow us on Facebook at Hope Radio Podcast and you can get all of our shows. You can recommend them to friends, family, whatever. You can get all of them on all the platforms. So iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher. Stitcher. Yeah i don't even know what that is but they tell me to say it so stitcher
1: did you say google play
0: yeah i said google play
1: okay leave us a
0: review leave us a five-star rating subscribe like that's how we spread this hope train further down the tracks yeah all right so i've got a guest coming on his name is justin goss he's now a christian music artist he's a songwriter and singer and he's got a riveting story, but in full disclosure, I will say that this particular show and our conversation with Justin can get explicit. We do talk about sex. We do talk about molestation and masturbation. So full disclosure, just uh, you know, put your headphones on or listen where young ears aren't available. So let me get Justin on the line and we're going to get right into the interview with him. All right, I've got Justin Goss on the line. Good afternoon, good, good, good. Justin. Good. How are good afternoon. you? Man, doing
2: good. Just got done doing uh, Beach Bod, uh, hip-hop abs with my family.
0: <laughs> that sounds like it. a great thing to be doing. I mean, you got the time. Why yeah. not spend it on some physical exercise yeah. and exertion, right? That's a great workout. Yeah, especially, with the family. especially with the family. So yeah. I'm over here exhausted. Are, you, are your abs on fire? Yeah. No but what? I'm sweating.
2: <laughs> I wasn't, I knew I wasn't doing it right. And like, cause you got to keep your abs tight. And I was trying not to fart. So it was just like the whole thing. <laughs> well, tomorrow's a better day. <laughs>
0: Sometimes yeah. you got to really concentrate. Right.
2: <laughs> and I started this new diet. So it's getting serious with the, you know, bowel situation. So I was like, we don't know what
1: that's going to be. So I <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm dead now. I'm just yeah, going to sit. We, right
0: here. We, we, we don't want any accidents. We don't want no problems. No. You know, Can't we don't get back for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I uh, came to know you because you were introduced to us from a former guest of ours on the show. And uh, mm-hmm. she just thought you had an incredible story to share. So, I'm excited to unpack that and find mm-hmm. out what your story is. So why don't you uh, just start wherever you'd like to start and share a little light on uh, maybe some of your adolescence. I know that she had mentioned something about foster care, et cetera. So maybe mm-hmm. that would be a good place to start or wherever you feel mm-hmm. would be best for us to kind of come up to speed on, uh, on who you are.
2: Okay. Well, feel free to interrupt me and ask questions at any time because I am a doctor just like you. And so it's kind of hard to figure out a place to stop me, but stop me, <laughs> you need to stop me. All right. All right so I, I grew up, so long end of it, my uh, biological mom was on drugs and she was also a prostitute. And uh, she got connected with my adopted mom or a guardian. And uh, she was an older lady who would go into those terrible areas in the city and, and spread hope. And her big thing was like, you're one decision away from changing your life and the life of others. Like that was the thing. So I stole it and I use it (laughs) Yeah. and uh, she was, she was big on that. And so she got really connected with her. And basically when she had me, she gave her a call and said, yeah, I need to come get this baby. And it was a terrible circumstance, which is a long story for another day. So basically she came and got me and I was born with a shake. So I had like a 50% chance of living. So I was basically born high. And so that, that was my start when she got me and took me home.
0: So you, you were born with an addiction, Obviously, and mm-hmm. you had the shake. So you were going through withdrawals basically when you were first born.
2: Yes.
0: Wow. And yes. so your your mom knew somebody that used to come mm-hmm. into where she lived or where she worked or where she was at and used to preach. Oh yeah, where she worked.
2: <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, worked the street corner. Yeah, so, like exactly.
0: And she but but she remembered, right, this woman would come in and spread hope or spread, you know, gospel or spread the word of Jesus. And so she just thought of her when she was pregnant and said, come get this baby. And that baby was you.
2: Yeah. And so she knew that she couldn't take care of me because she already had my older brother who uh, she didn't take good care um, of my uh, my older brother. And so she just was like, I did not want that life. I did not want that life for him as well. And so really early on, like I said, she gave she gave me up. And so with that being said, my adopted mom, I mean, she loved me so much. Like I was instantly favored and she had a, uh, already had some foster kids, but I was her son. I, I was dipping. I don't know why, but it was like, you know, everyone else was like a grandchild. That's my grandson and that, but. I was the same age. I was younger than all of them, mm-hmm. but I was her son. And so she just told everybody that I Told me that was my baby, that's my son. And so it was weird and it was hard because she already had 10 kids of her own, her own kids, not like oh. the adopted kids. Or any, but they were all adults, 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 like way older. And I believe the youngest at the time maybe was 28, you know, so they were way grown. And so long story short, she had me involved in everything from modeling to small acting, singing, I was doing a bunch of stuff. And around the age of like seven years old, um, I I got introduced to the term foster boy. And so I didn't know anything from anything. I just knew this was my mom. She was older. I never thought of it at all. You know, you're a kid. Yeah. Yeah. And one day my cousin was like, you grandma's foster child. And I was like, huh? What do you mean grandma's foster child? Like, What is that? And so my mom, she just broke it down to me and told told me that my mom, you know, wanted me to take care of you and you're my son. And almost that's it because she didn't want me to get lost in that. And so after that, it kind of spiraled down for me because everything that was true was now a lie. Everything that I ever believed was now a lie. And I'm only seven years old, but now I feel like I'm like, who is my family? What am I? And so like, like I, it would, it would be so bad, the separation would be so bad i would be with certain aunts or uncles and they would introduce everybody as first name and then they would be like that's my mom's foster child
0: you know so let me stop you let's go back and unpack some of that number one i think that your mom is actually an incredible woman you said that she raised 10 kids before you ever entered her life that's correct and then she (laughs) took on a foster child yourself now did she take on any other foster kids besides you
2: yeah way more before me like that was her mission, was to raise kids. That's how, that's what she felt. Uh, she was a school teacher, and she got out of that because she had to raise her kids. And she was like, "Well, I'm at home, and when they grow up, I'm gonna take care of more kids." That just she felt like was her calling. So,
0: so how many foster kids did she care for in total?
2: Well, at at the at the time when I was there, so it was me,
0: uh, Lashawn, Jesse, Stacy, Warren,
2: and then my little brother EJ. So uh, the the girls she had moved. Um, Jesse he had moved, and so it was me uh, most of my childhood life up to the age of twelve it was me, my cousin Stacy Warren and my little brother EJ The only kids that were her her sons was me and e j everyone else was a grandchild, and so we were deemed you know her kids
0: yes, and so you grew up in the early stages of adolescence, thinking that she was in fact, your mom, thinking that it was a normal mm-hmm. mother-son relationship mm-hmm. like any other relationship, and it wasn't until what age that you found out that you were a foster child? Maybe six or seven. Maybe six, six or seven. seven. You know, I, mm-hmm. I didn't have the same exact experience. Mine was actually slightly different or reverse, but I can, I can empathize with exactly what you're saying because— you know, early on, from basically when I was born until about I was I was ten, I had grown up thinking that a stepfather of mine was my biological father, and mm. it wasn't until my mom uh, told me when I was probably in the six or seven age range that this man was not truly my biological father, but he was you know, my stepfather, my biological father actually lived in, in California. And I remember, mm. you know, as a kid, I remember how that made me feel like I I, I get mm-hmm. what you're saying. Like it, it calls into question everything that you'd kind of known up Everybody. to that point. And it really, you know, kind of shakes you to some degree because, you know, like, whoa, what? You know, and like for me at the time, mm-hmm. the situation's a little a little different. Obviously, being a foster kid, You know, um, I I think that that can be more impactful or finding out, for example, that you were adopted when you had no idea you were adopted. You know, I think that Mm -hmm. can be that can shake the foundation of of some of the assumptions or or your reality to some degree. But for me, you know, it it did unsettle me. But then, you know, a couple of days later, I'm back to being a six, seven year old kid. But it it sounds Mm -hmm. like it stayed with you. And then it sounds like it was accentuated. Because yeah. people around you would then bring it up and label you as X. I, you're the foster yeah. kid,
2: and so that's what it, that's what it was for me. And that was like the truly really heartbreaking part of it. it. Is like, man, you guys are my like you guys are my family. Like, why am I being set aside? And a lot of it was jealousy because my mom favored me so much, and everybody wouldn't. You know, if she had ten kids, I mean, you know, she had grandkids out to yin yang. And so everybody wanted to be, you know, the favorite or the, you know, every kid wants to be the favorite, but I just, I was bad. Right. I don't care what anybody says. I was bad. <laughs> and so it was like, why is he, he is so bad, but he did every, I got everything I wanted, you know, and nobody else got what I got. I just got everything I wanted. And so by the age of 10 years old, I was molested more times than my fingers and toes. And one time in particular, the first time that I could remember, because we had older cousins that were, like, way, like, 18, 19. And they would make um, all the foster kids touch on my girl, foster, sister. And, like, they would just be doing really evil stuff and making us do it and making us touch each other. and make It, it was just really, really evil. Mm-hmm. And one time in particular, I had somebody who was an adult that was supposed to be taking care of me. She was like, hey, you want to go to Chuck E. Cheese? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, oh, you want something to case with? And I was like, Yeah, she was like, They got the gold ones that came out, right? They had the little gold three stripes and you know, that was like those of fire when I was little. <laughs> and so so we go to e. check we go get the shoes, and when we get home, she was like, Now you gotta do something for me mm-hmm. and she made me do unimaginable things to her uh, when I was a kid and she was way more than an adult. And that uh, that affected me because it, it it ruined my vision. And I knew I knew that one hundred percent it was wrong. But I was completely afraid. And then when I was like, I'm going to tell my mom, I don't like this, right? She was like, ain't nobody going to believe you. with your lying tale. Ain't nobody going to believe nothing you're saying. So just shut up. Mm -hmm. And I never said nothing. You know what I'm saying? Never said, never Mm -hmm. said anything. And so up until one point when I was about 12, 13, 13, 13, 12 years old, somebody who was my godfather uh, from church, who was over Sunday school, he was like my, he was like one of my heroes. Um, I was telling him I was struggling with masturbation, and I was like, "Yeah, man, I'm just man, all the time," and because I already, I've already, I started having sex real early, like 12 years old, and um, I was like, "Yeah, man, I keep on doing it and every night. I'm all excited, and I don't know what to do but to masturbate." And he gave me some weird advice. You know, he's a man of God, and I was expecting him to be like, you know, the Holy Spirit or so, give me some sort of scripture-based reference, but he was like you know it's not that bad or something and it felt creepy when he said it you know what i mean mm-hmm. it felt like he was like whispering it to me like you know like, it, and it, it wasn't that he whispered it but it felt like he didn't tell me the truth it felt like a weird little vibe after i said it and so later in the in the night because he had a bunch of prostitutes too all boys and later in the night and he's a big guy he's like six four i'm super big on 400 some pounds like a big guy and I'm laying in the bottom bunk and he comes comes on in and he lays next to me, right? And in my head I'm like trying to fake sleep, like, oh he might he might you know be praying for me or whatever. And he's my godfather since I was a little kid. And um in my head I'm like, Yeah, he's he's gonna be praying for me. And then he touched me and I was like in my head I'm like, What? Right? I'm like, he's gotta guy he gotta be praying. And then when he pulled my pants down, he touched me again. I push him off me. I'm like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "Just go to bed." No, it's like, "What?" And I lose my mind. My god brother, he was in the bunk above me, crying because he was molesting all of his foster children, all of them. So I'm like, "I'm like, what the freak, right?" And we all just heck of mad, and and I didn't want to say nothing because of a young man, and I wasn't gay, and I never struggled with my sexuality. I always loved women, but when when you, when a man touches you, you said like, "Why? Why would you touch me? Like, do I look feminine?" Like, and so it was just a real confusing time for me. And I didn't, I didn't say anything. I mean, my governor, he just kind of kept it quiet and was like, you know, weird about it or whatever. And then uh, one day I shared I shared uh, with the young lady from my church because she was sharing some things that happened to her. And I shared, and uh, she called her senior pastor. And I didn't want her to, obviously, you know, so I would have just said something. But it came out, and it was just a catastrophe. And, and when I was at school, it was like, man, it was just a lot. It was a lot. Matter of fact, I was in 10th grade. Yeah, 10th grade. And so, like, I'm at school, and it just was like, I keep having to meet with police and meet with the people for the courts. It was just a a terrible, terrible time. But that that happened in, in my youth, and it was like a really, really awkward, vulnerable time because my mom actually passed away the year before that, you know? And so he came in and stepped in, and he was like my dad. When I started doing better, he was coming to all my baseball games. He was always there. And all of a sudden... Every the man who I wanted to be was now the devil to me
0: yeah let me let me stop you right there number one i just I just want to say thank you so much for being vulnerable. I know that that is not something that is easy to say it's not something that's easy to talk about, but I think it's so important that people do talk about it because I think it's a lot more commonplace than what uh most people would. Know or think, and so number one, you know, let me let me step back a moment, and and just again unpack what you've said. So you you were molested by more than one person. You said yes. more times than you yeah. can count. You know, by the time you yeah. were eleven, so yeah. your your earth your your world view came to kind of a crashing end when you were seven eight because you found out that you were not the biological son of your mother, but yet you were the quote unquote, other people's words, the foster kid. So all of a sudden Mm. they set you apart, set you aside. And then Mm. from that, you experienced a lot of like, this is not my truth. What is truth? Like it makes you question a lot about your life. And then in the midst of that, you know, you've got older cousins telling you and other family members, like corralling you together and telling you to do certain things to one another that you knew at the time was not what you 're supposed to be doing. it felt wrong yeah. yeah you couldn 't do anything about it, and then, as a young adult, now a teen you know and and i do i do get this because i've i 've read about it i 've studied it, I know that when you are um, molested as a as a child, it can it can take and over-sexualize you. In other words, it it, it, bring, it brings you into a situation where you connect with your sexuality in a way that makes it extremely difficult from that point forward to, quote-unquote, have like a normal adolescence. It, it, it fires something off, it connects, and and then it's, it's your truth. So I understand that about the you know uh masturbation i understand about oversex i understand about that because i think that's what happens when somebody uh molests a child and then from that somebody else that you trusted a father figure somebody that had come into your life somebody that was connected to the church a year after your mom, who was your world, who took you in and provided you all the love and care and concern ever, like she was, she made you feel like you were her number one. A year after yeah. she dies, which had to have been traumatic in and of itself, because now the you work. have another the loss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Somebody else work. that now is a father figure takes advantage of you.
2: Yeah. I call this guy dad. Like it wasn't my goddad, It was not nothing. I'm trying to figure out when I'm going to move with him because this is my dad. Like, this is not the dude I see at church and it sounds cool to say. Like, this was literally my dad. So, like, when I tell you heartbreak, like, doesn't even begin to must up the words of, like, I can't even put it into words of the pain of, like, looking in the mirror. Like, now, because even at that point, I, I was living with my aunt. We had a terrible relationship. And thank God that we're good now. I loved her so much. But we had a terrible relationship. I felt like people only wanted me for the money, right? And I felt like that's how I felt. And I I felt like I just was useless. And so at the age of 14, I decided that uh, life was enough. I decided that I had enough, that I no longer wanted to do life anymore. And so I was dating girl at the time. I called her and uh, I called her mom because her mom was super there for me. And, And at that point, I was. I played sports and I played like travel and I was freaking, I uh, played varsity baseball at my school in ninth grade. And, and like, I felt like people only wanted me because of sports. And so like everyone was tolerate me, but nev- no one would ever ask me how I'm truly doing. And I just felt like everybody seen me, but I was invisible. And I'm
0: playing you weren't a person. You were a means to some other end. You were, you were a yeah. thing that somebody could trade or spend time with or use in some way. It wasn't, it and wasn't when
2: that's over. Then, and once that's over, then that's it. Baseball season's up, no calls. Baseball season's getting closer. Everybody's like, hey, what's up, man? Let's grab something to eat, man. I'll get you a new gloves. You want a new glove? And, you know, everybody's trying to, like, woo me up so I can either play in this league or that league. And uh, even with basketball um, and football, what, what school are you going to? Oh, you know, it was just always that. And so um, I decided I was going to commit suicide. And so I called my girlfriend at the time. I called her mom. So I, said, no, I appreciate them. I love them and then i uh, went on waterman right there in fairfield california right there off the exit and i just i just was like this is it so i started walking in the middle of the freeway it was wednesday uh, kind of midday and i started walking in the middle of the freeway and cars are like well you know speeding out the way and, and i'm just screaming because now i'm afraid but i'm just like i'm screaming at god and like i'm holding back tears every time i think about it but i was like i'm done i can't do this anymore. And, and I'm all the way mid-road, and thank God it was Wednesday. It wasn't that many cars. But, man, when you go at 60 miles an hour, it's kind of hard to dodge, like, period, you know, especially if you paying attention from afar. And um, thank God there were no cell phones <laughs> like that back then, travesty. And so all of a sudden there's this gold Mercedes. I'll never forget it. He slowed down the cars like, you know, the police do. He slowed down the cars. He's sw- uh, swaying back and forth. He was like, get out of the road, get out of the road, and I'm just yelling at him, you don't know what they did to me, they've been molesting me, they abuse me, they only want me because of money, I don't mean nothing to them, they hate me, nobody likes me, nobody wants me, why should I be here, my mom's dead, my real mom's on crack, I'm a crack baby, what am I, I'm just going off, just saying everything that I ever said, I remember when I was eight or nine years old, my uncle locked me in his dog cage and said, that's what, you, that's what you should plan on being. And like for the rest of your life, locked up in a cage like your mom, and your mom's a hoe, and left me locked in his dog cage for real, not figuratively. Not told me, imagine being in a cage. He locked me in there in his little dog's cage, and so, and it wasn't like I was in a dungeon for hours. It felt like forever, but it might have been ten minutes. It was the worst ten minutes ever, so especially with him saying all these things. So I'm yelling at the guy. And he's like, and, and at that time, I didn't have a good relationship with white men at all because I felt like they were they were using me, too, for baseball. You know, it just was like, hey, what's up, man? And then it, they would make little racial jokes. And I just was like, I just had just a, man, you only want me because of this. That was just my idea of what white men were to me because of my experience. And that's not my experience anymore. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. But yeah. that, was, that was my that was my experience as a kid, and so I'm just like, what do you want? That was my whole thing, like, what are you stopping me? What you see me in the bedroom for home run, or like, you know, why? You know, what, what? And he was like, man, calm down, calm down. <sighs> he was telling me, he was like, calm down, calm down. It's gonna, right. it's gonna be all right, it's gonna be all right, it's gonna be okay. And I'm just like, you don't know what they did to me. I'm yelling, I'm yelling. Whew, I was about to cry, but anyway, I'm yelling, I'm yelling, I'm like, man, you don't know what they did to me, you don't know what they did to me. And he was like, I don't know, I don't understand. And he was like, "But are you hungry?" And I was like, "What? Well, that's kind of weird. That's kind of weird. Like, what kind of a question? What kind of weird are you? Right? Like, you know, are you like my goddad? But like, to be honest, I was really hungry, right? <laughs> and he was like, "Hey, you want you know, want some McDonald's or something?" And and I was like, "Heck yes!" Like, right? I was like, "Yeah, you know." So we're in the car, and, and he's talking to me, and he was like, "Man, you got a purpose for your life." And, you know, and, you know, because I already have rambled like for 20 minutes. You, you know, he's talking about the way I'm outside. I wouldn't even get in the car. I'm not going nowhere. Like, I'm just like, you know. And so we get to McDonald's and he just was like, tell me every, I want to know everything. And he had a suit on. He was I was going to a job interview and looks like might not get that job, but you know, hey, who cares? Like, I want to be here for you. And he was an older guy, or whatever. He's like, maybe in his 30s, 40, close to 40s. And, uh, he just listened to me and I told him like everything and you know, even stuff that like my cousins would make us do stuff and then me touching my cousins and like all the stuff when i was younger because i just felt so icky about it but they were making us do these things you know what i'm saying and so i just told them everything and i was like and this happened and i don't die and they did this to me and then i did this and and but one time i was like because i was in the streets heavy and so i'm like and i just smoke weed all day and and i'm selling it and blah, blah blah i'm just telling them everything i could have went to jail for stuff <laughs> i was telling this guy about things that we were doing and robbing apartments and i just going and telling him everything just laid out my heart because he just made me feel comfortable and he would, he listened to me and I just felt so much better. It was the first time somebody wasn't just trying to give me instant advice after I finished the sentence, you know and he was like uh, he was like, hey, let's let's get together you know, maybe every week, you know, I'll come to your games and I'll be there, I'll support you and da 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 and he always supported me like in the wind. he never did it in the way where it was like, hey I'm here at your game it was always like you know, he was just
0: chilling. You know, so go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, so let me let me stop you there. For I just want to make sure that we're we're all along here uh, with you. So, so when you're in the midst of the freeway, so you're down in Fairfield. Fairfield. Yep. Okay. So you're down mm-hmm. in Fairfield, and you're in the middle of the freeway because you want to die. You want somebody to hit you. You want it to be over. Mm-hmm. You don't want to live life anymore. And mm-hmm. you're you're in and somebody in a gold Mercedes, somebody that you'd never, never met before. It kind of was swerving back and forth to kind of hold traffic stops, has a conversation with you, ultimately asks you if you're hungry and you're like, come to think of it, you know, I, I, (laughs) I actually am kind of hungry and you go, you go sit down and, and this guy provides just his attention and a a moment of his time in his day, like he was going to an interview. So he stops everything to be there for you and to just Mm -hmm. listen to your story. With no more agenda.
2: 100% none.
0: And then from that point, offered more of his time on a go-forward basis to meet with you regularly to, mm-hmm. from what I can understand, mentor you. And, and this was a, he was a white male?
2: Yeah. And, and the thing, you know, the weird thing is, right, and, and that's why I love youth ministry and the, and, and the direction of how I want to be youth ministry, is because he didn't set up an agenda for me to get saved, Right he knew that his life would be an example. I didn't even know he was a Christian. I never knew, I didn't know any white, white Christians. I grew up in a super black church. We went to church Monday through Sunday. <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't go to, I never, all I ever known was a joke comedian say, would say about white church. And so <laughs> my idea of <was> like, it's <laughs> like, holy, oh made it all corny and all that stuff. <laughs> and so like, so I had no, I had no clue. I never met, you know, I never, you know, been to a white church, never met a white man, a guy at least that I knew. And I, I always felt like, he's like, he, he's like, he don't cuss, you know what I'm saying? Like, he don't do this, like, he don't talk about that. And every time I talk about girls, he he always tells me, like, I shouldn't do that. Uh, but he says it in a, a way that feels like he's a churchman. And so one day I asked him, and I was like, you going to church? And he was like, yeah, I go to Parkway Church over here. And, I, you know, serve with the youth or whatever. But anyway, he never wanted that to be, like, a thing. He, he never he never I pushed it, like, it on you.
0: He never he never no, pushed it on you or he didn't, he didn't, made you feel like you know. In order for you to continue to meet, like that had to be something that you were were force fed. He he just he just lived by example.
2: Mm-hmm. And he wanted to do life with me instead of instead of having just this Christian youth pastor motive. He just was like, Nah, man, you're gonna see it, and you're gonna know by the time i stay with you that it's not just me with you. It's God with you, and even when. You know, even when fast forwarding, if you know, if we're if we're just to keep going. When I was 15 years old, I was kind of like I had because he always he always was there, but it wasn't like it stopped being an everyday thing because I'm like I didn't want to listen to his small instructions on stuff, and and then he would always call. He would even come by, and I'm, like, I'm trying to be like, nah, I ain't trying to hang. You know what I mean? Like, so you like-
0: you got to you got to a point where you were starting to not want to spend time with him.
2: Yeah, I was kind of, I was just, because I just want to do my own thing. Too. So like, and I always felt convicted when I get around them. I felt like that. Like, I don't want to feel bad. I want to feel cool. i want to smoke weed and I don't want to be around you and you make making me feel all bad. <laughs> I just wanted to live my life how I was doing it. And so when I was 15 years old, um, my older cousin was like, you ain't going to be in the streets. They kind of just kind of kicked me out the whole situation. And long story short, we got caught up with the police and I told God that if he can get me out of it, then I would give him my life. And, I, and I, I vowed it. And it was right before my birthday, it was in December time. And um, and, he, and he got me out of it. And that's a long story, so I'm not going to share it. way too long. But God got me out of the situation and, and spared my life and my time. I didn't even, I got sent off by the police. They didn't even find anything on me. And it was just a crazy situation. And so fast forward, long story short, I told God I was going to give him my life. And so at my church, that I grew up at, we had a thing called Christ, the Christmas Revival. And so I get, I get to the church, right? I got my, uh, I got my suit on out a bot, you know what I mean? <laughs> I got my suit on, right? I got a pelican neck shirt. It's all extra big, right? Um, but I got my little, uh, black on black pinstripe. I'm feeling like, ooh, I'm feeling like candy when I fly through to the church. So I got, <laughs> so we get, we get to the church and, I instantly got distracted on the purpose of why I came because everybody's like, man, you looking good. I'm like, I felt, ladies, I had your boy. You know, how y'all doing, y'all? And it's your boy, Jay Dizzle. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm feeling all, you know, I'm feeling all sexy with my suit, and uh, cause people not like looking at me like, oh, look at the man of God. They look at me like, oh, look at you trying to be a pimp daddy. You know, cause they know me from what I was. You know, oh no, I wasn't trying to be a pimp, but you know, yeah, and and they're not going to say the street kid is trying to look like a man of God, so.
1: You were just so anyway, feeling really so, good.
2: You were feeling good. Oh, you couldn't tell. You couldn't tell me a thing that day. <laughs> I got a fresh haircut, you know, <laughs> and so, uh, so uh, um, it's always packed out, floor door to door at this Christian revival, especially at that time. And so they had uh, this guest preacher. His name is Robbie Warren. He's a freaking popular evangelist or whatever. He'd be on TV and They started, He's still he's popular. So he's preaching about like when he first got saved and how you know he he grew up Catholic and he got like. Uh, that you have to have communion every day. So he was drinking a heck of wine. He got drunk. He was—he—he he had a, such a funny story that he was sharing. It was kind of funny. And so like, I never, ever paid attention to preaching. Like, I paid attention to the children's church when I was little, so I knew all the stories of David, Daniel, you know, all that. But I never was, like, paying attention to the service. I'm like, oh, my God, can we go? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I never wanted to be there. So he had this message, and it was actually good. But this girl, she was like twisting my hands so am like, you cracking jokes and you're not really paying attention to none of this. Most of the kids I was there was just talking and just, you can hear us. He was just loud and loud. And so he stopped mid-message and he looked at the opposite side of the balcony that we were sitting at. And he was like, you hate yourself. And it gets quiet. And he said, I need the old thing to start praying right now. He was like, if you go to that party tonight, I, I had a plan. I had my gun, in my backpack, it's, it's a anyway." I'm, I skipped some parts of the story. Basically, on my way headed to the church, my cousin told me to get my backpack, which means, you know, get your gun or whatever, because he's going somewhere after. He's supposed to go to this party, shoot up this party or whatever, quickly we was about to do. And so, long story short, I had my backpack on me, which I had my stuff on me and a change of clothes, so because my, my whole plan of getting saved was now diverted. And so he, he stopped his message and said, you hate yourself. And he was like, he said, again, you got to keep praying. And he was like, you go to that party tonight, you're going to die. You're going to be the one to die. And I'm like, oh, my God. And then he was like, he, started, he was like, what else you want me to say? I was like, was uh, touching on you. What else you want me to say? He just, the Holy Spirit just was
0: using me prophetically. And I was like,
2: whoa, but he's still not looking at me. He's looking at the opposite
0: side. So let me unpack it again. So you you got yourself in some sort of a a law enforcement slash legal situation. During Mm. that situation, you say to yourself, God if you get me out of this, I'm yours. I promise. Uh, I I am yours. (laughs) I will follow you. I promise.
2: I promise. I'm going to give you everything I got, oh God.
0: (laughs) So he, he gets you out of this, out of the situation and uh-huh. the first opportunity that you have is this Christmas revival and mm-hmm. you, you got you get you dressed to the nines you're feeling good, nine, you got a fly you're haircut you're like, you like know? like everything <laughs> was vibing. I've arrived. I, I'm gonna show yeah. up and the plan was somebody texted you or called you earlier the plan was after church man, you're looking forward to this party and then so this guy's mm-hmm. up there preaching. And all of mm-hmm, a sudden, the, the Holy yeah. The, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit, <laughs> like th- like through him, is felt uh-huh. like someone with a loudspeaker was speaking directly to you. Hey, you! You what? hate yourself. 100%. Hey, you! People touched you. Hey, you! You're gonna go to a party tonight. Hey, you! You're gonna die at that party. You go there tonight. <laughs> wow. I, so I, I got it right. I'm I'm with you, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah you're with me 100. All right. So. He's like, he's like, I need you to pray, and, and, and you're, you need to meet me at this altar. Your life depends on it. It gets kind of quiet, and then so I nobody from the balcony is moving, and they start praying. He stopped preaching, he's praying. It was like maybe a minute goes by, and I get up, and they was like, you good? Everybody looking at me like, you about to go down there? <laughs> and I'm like, no. I'm like, I got a frog in my throat. I'm trying not to cry because I'm feeling overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. And I didn't know what it was, but I knew I was about to cry. I was like, you good? I was like, yeah, I need some water today. And so I walked, I walked down. So I get some water, then I go to use the bathroom, I'm looking in the mirror, and every time I look at myself, I'm about to cry. I'm like, all right, I'm about to do it, right? So like, so I start with I open the door, right? And just like the enemy, the I'm not calling her the lady, the enemy, but she she they know that you know, she did judge me for who I was. So I opened the door and she's like, uh uh-uh, uh, we praying like, you know, you know, old school ushers like you know, they'll, they'll sit you down and put you out. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> I opened the door and she was like, hold on, on they praying. And I just, I was laughing to be like, man, screw this church. See, that's why, you know, I was going to say that in my head. And I just was like, nope. So I started walking towards the altar, man. i never forget the first person I seen was my Auntie Rita and she started bawling crying. My Auntie, and then I see like my Auntie um, Vicky she started crying. I see my senior pastor at the time, uh, Rest of Soul, he started, I've never seen him cry. He was, like, oh, God, shut up. He started speaking in tongues. He's crying. I walked to the altar and all I remember doing is falling in in, uh, the pastor's arms, the uh, guest uh, evangelist, and I fell in his arms. And then after I got up, he showed me the bathroom and it was empty. All the kids that were up there were at the altar laid out and crying, you know, life to the Lord. And he was like, this is how the altar will look when you share your testimony and what God has done for you. And I just was like, oh my goodness. And, you know, and from, and from that day, from that day, my life has been changed. Like, I don't even know how I was able to think different. The next day I woke up and like, I was just being very exaggerated, but I just wanted to do right. So I got all my like rap CDs and I like broke them all. And I, I was like, No, I'm not doing this no more. I gave up my weed. I gave up everything. I called all my, I saw people that I was bullied, or maybe some people that I robbed, and they knew me. And I apologized. Like I just wanted to make things right instantly because I lived a life that was so foul. And I wasn't the most evil person in the world. I'm not gonna act like I was like, you know, narco. or so <laughs> like, I'm not gonna act like I was like the biggest shot in the in the world. I wasn't. I was just a little kid faking it until uh, I make it, but I did have people I needed to apologize to. And so I called, I apologized, called, I talked to my aunt, I was apologizing to everybody who I was ever, even when they was evil and mean and nasty to me, I called and I uh, apologized. And so long story short, I instantly brought one We went back to school after Christmas break, right? It was so funny. So I'm like, bro, I'm about to wear my suit to school. My people like, don't you wear that suit? I'm like, man, I'm finna let cause I was like, you know, I was like the you know, the uh, pretty boy thug, bruh, and <laughs> and 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 people kinda had a perception of like hardcore from me all the time because nobody could say nothing to me, or it's like, all right, let's go, let's dump. Like I, I we weren't even gonna think about it. Either. And so when I came to school, I was like, No, I wanna let people know that like I'm changed and cause people are not gonna believe me. They not. They're gonna think Oh come on, bro! Shut up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I came. I had my I had my suit on, <laughs> and everybody's like, "What do you think you're a right same thing?" And I was like, "Man, I got saved." They're like, "Now nah, I'm saved too. I got baptized." I'm like, "Man, nah, I got."
0: So here, okay. <laughs> here's a question that had occurred to me. I mean, given what you went through, especially with that father figure guy that had you know, tried to get into your bed and, and tried to molest you to, to some degree. Like, I would imagine that that could have had all of the potential in the world to make you, like, not want to have anything to do with the church at all. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I could imagine that that would make you, it, it, it's kind of the same feeling that I would have over someone that was molested, let's say, by a Catholic priest or something. Like, I'd, I could mm-hmm. I could see that turning them away from you know, religion yeah. and God, et cetera. So how did you maintain that desire to stay connected to the church in that moment when you were, you know, in that, in that law enforcement, you know, situation, how did you, I'm surprised that you still thought, you know, if I get it, get out of this God, then I want to, I'm going to follow you. So how, how did you still have that in you after that?
2: Well, first of all, I felt like now I know God is real, right? That's how I felt. Yeah, because you tested him. You said,
0: to... "If I get out of this, yeah. I'm gonna follow you."
2: And, and I'm gonna be very truthful. After that day that happened, I still was hanging out with my goddad. I still, I still was because I act like it never happened.
0: Because yeah, you just want to no you want to make it go away. No
2: way, there's no way that happened to me. I just would, I would, I, I put it away. Even up to maybe two weeks before I told my sister, and it was super incompetent, like. I don't know if I would ever have the courage to ever like tell somebody, you know, on him or like, I, I don't, I don't, I just don't know because that was my godfather. I mean, that was my dad. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I'm like, he was just tripping. You know what I'm saying? He was just tri- like, yeah, I don't know. And I just find ways. Like he was just praying for me. You know what I'm saying? Like I just yeah. found ways to try to justify. It. So even in my young, my young, uh, uh, in my young, young and being young in my faith, I just always justified it for him. And he always kind of knew that what he did was wrong. So he would always try to make it right with me. Always kind of try to give me special treatment. New video games come out. I was like, oh, the NBA, NBA street. That was my favorite game. That game was tight. He was like, you see the NBA street that just came out? He, like, he wanted so it to great. go away you too. Could.
0: Yeah, yeah. In, in his mind, he he yeah. just wiped it, wiped it. It didn't happen. Like, nope, it didn't happen. You thought, nope, didn't happen. He thought, nope, yep. it didn't happen. So, um, yep. okay. So let me, let me ask you a question about the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, because I, th- I think that people listening who have never felt that before, I, I would like to describe it for them because I, I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about, you know, because the same thing yeah. happened to me in 2008, 2009. I just felt this, this conviction to address the stuff that I had swept under the rug for so long the stuff that I didn't want mm. to deal with and and all I can say is it was this rising up inside me where the only way to address it was to do what I knew I had to do and mm-hmm. there was no sidestepping it so it's like the strongest yeah. feeling that you don't know where yeah. it's coming strongest from feeling. Yep. And you, but you know it's connected to God somehow, and you know it's the right thing to do. That's the feeling that you had that made you go down into that bathroom. That's the feeling mm-hmm. that you had that made you open up that door and walk past that usher. That's the feeling yeah. that you had that made you go up to the altar. And by you being brave, you choosing to surrender to that feeling, and you went up to the yeah. altar, and yet it brought down all of your friends, all everybody else that was up in that balcony, they all came down. And I imagine that when your aunt saw you and she started crying and your other aunt and then the pastor and all of them started, they knew the potential that you had. They knew yeah. what your life could be. They knew you were not on the right path and they could recognize that in that moment, everything was about to change.
2: One hundred percent. And that's what my senior pastor, when I looked at him and he was like, Ooh, he was like, boy, you going to change the world, boy, you're going to He would always say that to me, always say that to me. And never, never in a way where it was like, you're going to be famous, not that. But it was like, you're going to change the world. Your gift is so strong. And so, like, you know, I've always made it a point or try to make it a point to be around people who are not going to get so lost in my gifting, right? Because I have like ability to connect. I got, like, I just, I connect with people, like, it just, like, it's nuts to just be at the Walmart, and I, I'm, I made a best friend in the line, you know what I'm saying, I just, God has blessed me with that, uh, with that ability, and so, like, a lot of, I've tried to put myself around people who want to try to get the best out of me, instead of just using it for their own gain and benefit, like, how can that gift be perfected? How, you know, how? Because you can misuse it and be a people pleaser like I was for so long and just try to get people to like me and all that kind of stuff. And so like I try my best to keep myself surrounded by people who are not going to just see the gift but really see me in the struggle within the gift you know
0: so. yeah I, f- I feel like based on what you've shared with us thus far you were used so mm-hmm. many times by so yeah. many people so I can mm-hmm. imagine that it made you very jaded about people's motivations like it could make you very cynical 100%. about about spending time or people that would try to come alongside you for whatever reason you were always mm-hmm. I would imagine looking for the angle what's their angle what's the what, what mm-hmm. do they need from me what do they want from me and so so that can be a really, really difficult thing to overcome, and if you don't, it makes you not like people. It makes you mm-hmm. shy away from people, and people would become the enemy in that situation. So, so yeah. let me ask you: So, since since that time where you went down to that altar and and all use the term surrendered, you, you know, you, you gave yeah. your life, you surrender, you fully, you know, got rid of whatever it was. The, the path that you were going down, you know, you didn't, you didn't smoke weed anymore. You didn't do any of the stuff that you were doing. So what did the rest of your life look like that? Now walk us through that point to now and how, yeah. let's say God has transformed your life since then.
2: Well, the the blessing in it all like life is life is a journey, right? And I, and a lot of times I grab. The horns of life, and just be like, "Let's go!" Okay, right? and so like I'm trying to get everybody. You, you can I'm roll like, with
0: us. We're the get... same way. <laughs> Jen, Jen and I, ride or die. You know, we're like going, we we're going we're, we're, we're going. Time. We ain't
2: going halfway. We ain't trying to lukewarm the situation. We like no. yes, this all the way. And we're running all the way. All and in. So like I I um I went to like get all my cousins' saved I'm telling them like, we got to take out our earrings. We can't play sports no more we gotta serve God we don't want to go to hell and we can't be dancing no more everything we, <laughs> we can't go to the movies no we can't go to school dances but we can serve a god and we're gonna dance in heaven and just everybody was just on the bandwagon with me I had all everybody pick up their earrings and we prayed over it and you know because we won't we were doing it because we want to go to lust after us and lust after the flesh just like <laughs> I was trying to make everybody feel like they was going to hell and I just said, no <laughs> I don't want you to go to hell. And if you you going to hell and we want to go to heaven and, and, da, 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 and I was just Bible thumping everybody in the head and, and all the stuff. And um, there, there was a big transition for me because I, I, I basically became what I was to the street inside of the church. Right. So, cause everything that's good is not God. Right. And, and, and we know that. And what I was doing was, is I took that same street mentality, which a lot of it worked good for the kingdom, but it worked against me because I was doing it with the purpose of the approval now of the church, not just the street. So it was like, everything I did, I was like, oh, we're going to rock, we're going to steal some stuff in the store. And I told everybody, like, yeah, you're cool, you steal from the store. It's like, ha, ha, ha. I feel affirmed. But then now I'm in church, and then every time I go to church, I'm like, oh, I got five people saved at school. And everybody's like, oh, I'm like yeah. And I just was always like, need affirmation and I started doing things for bad motives after a while. It wasn't, you weren't
0: doing it for the kingdom. You were doing it for yourself indirectly using uh, the kingdom as an excuse.
2: As an excuse, because I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to deal with my thirst for attention and thirst of affirmation.
0: You know, number one, thank you again so much for sharing your truth, sharing your story, sharing your, um, vulnerability, ultimately, because that is not an easy thing to talk about. I think what I would yeah. like to, though, do is just ask you, you know, based on that, I mean, to, to just kind of summarize kind of what your early childhood was like, you know, you, you know, you were born a, a drug addicted crack baby, in essence, you went through withdrawals, you had the shakes, you got basically adopted by a foster mom, uh, didn't know mm-hmm. that you were a foster kid until... You know, someone says something to it uh, about seven, eight, you know, and then your world is shaken because like, what does this mean? Everything you thought was truth up to that point wasn't. Um, You spend your time, um, you know, uh, really in a situation where cousins, other family members make fun of you. They sense that you are special somehow and they, they call you the foster kid and then you've got other cousins that end up molesting you. And uh, then you have a father figure that ends up doing the same thing, and it just seems like you have gone through the fire, like you've been through everything. You're on a you're on a freeway trying to commit suicide, and somebody mm-hmm. you know stops their car and 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 takes a moment to be real with you. And so, I guess what I would say is is like, what would you say to somebody right now? Because part of the reason that we're doing this podcast is stories of hope, encouragement, people that have courage, persevere, never gave up. You're certainly all of those things. What would you say to somebody right now um, that's listening that, you know, feels maybe overwhelmed, that feels anxious, that feels like, oh my God, maybe a husband and wife that lost their jobs. Maybe they're worried about losing their houses. Like how how would you encourage that person based on what you've been through in your life?
2: From experience, I would say, It's not going to be forever because the, the hardship of the trial most times is when is this going to be over? Right? Especially when you feel like you've been doing the right things, you've been saying the right things, you've been going to church, you're paying your tithes, whatever it is. I've been doing it right. I've been paying my bills on time for years. And why has this happened to me? I want you to be encouraged that it's not going to be forever. I felt, I felt like it was going to be, forever. That's what my life is going to be. This is it. I'm going to end up being in jail. This is what's going to happen. I, why? Because I didn't do anything to deserve anything was happening to me. I was just born. I just was alive. And these things were happening to me. But what I realized is that God wants to use all of that mess to create a message of hope, just like he did for me. Now, um, unfortunately, we have to go through because, let's be honest, most of us we learn only when we go through <laughs> because when it's all good, what is there to learn? Happy, yeah. it's like, oh my gosh, you know, let's just turn up. It's just a party all the time. But when that trial happened, that's when you need to learn the most. So I just pray over you that you realize, you understand that it's not going to last always. And God got you and, and you're in his hands. Just trust him and trust the process. It's going to be
0: all right. I think that's very very good words. I I agree with you. I do think that this is but a season. It's a it's a mm-hmm. short period of time and uh you can get through it. If you if you think it's but a season, then I I think that helps you to persevere. And I think mm-hmm. your words are are spot on. I the one thing that I've kind of thematically done in the last year year and a half is just really kind of embrace this idea that words matter. And I think mm-hmm. that your story is an indication of those words. Words do matter because you know, it was the words of that guy on the freeway and and sitting and mm-hmm. listening to you and spending time with you that was a pivotal change for you. It was the words of cousins saying that you're the foster kid or whatever that had mm-hmm. such a profound effect on you. I think words are super powerful. They are some of the most powerful things out there. You can wield them for the benefit of humanity or you can wield them to hurt humanity. And I think that you have been on one side where you have been the, the target of words that hurt. And I think you are now on the other side, not only doing this podcast, but you know, you're, a, you're a well-known Christian musician. You are an artist. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit yeah. about how God has redeemed you into artistry and your gift for others through music.
2: Well, I've been I've been doing music for the past few years now, writing um, for a bunch of artists and and doing my own music. And so what I what I talk about, like what we just talked about, that's what I always talk about. So I make my music for the underdogs, for the people that have been overlooked, the people that feel like you know nobody can see them or they're not good enough because that's how I felt most of my life. And if like, my favorite artist of all times is Kirk Franklin, right? And it's not like, oh, because it's hype music, if you really listen to Kirk Franklin. And his story is mine as well. He grew up the Foster Care being abused. And that's why we, if you ever listen to his music, not just the singles that come out, you'll hear the the story and the heart behind why he says it. Even in a song I have called, Too Good, um, I'm talking about the goodness of God, right? And what a friend we have in God. But then when we get to the to the bridge, I say life is hard, just to make it clear. But I'm still standing, for no complaining here, right? Because the reality is life is going to be hard. But if we're able to share with them that I, yes, I do understand that life is hard, but God is good and His to mm-hmm. go forever. And so within my music, that's what I always try to share. Even though know, I have a song called "Good Lawyer," where a lot of times with, with, with us. We don't take responsibility, especially artists. We just want to write from this, like, everybody is trying to hate on me or like, or it's either always all good. But in my song, I say, drag my name through the dirt. Right. It broke me. I admit it hurts because I'm guilty. But God, he stepped in, he came to defend. Right. And so, like, it's it's, it's from a perspective of, like, even when I'm wrong, right, he doesn't make me right, but he still covers me and then he teaches me how to step make a make the next step in the right right direction. And so instead of like us making god into this genie that we shake it up, we pray and we get what we want. He's like, "No, I want to teach you and I want to train you how to be better, stronger, wiser and make better decisions so that everything that you want, even though he still does give give us favor and give us things that we don't deserve 80% of the time, but I believe we serve a God who is a great teacher, who is a great lawyer, who's always going to defend us, but wants to teach us something a little bit more. And so like, that's why I exist. That's why i met music. And that's why, that's not just why, but that's a big reason why I went to do the podcast because I've been through that. And a lot of people would rather, you know, I mean, now podcasts are, you know, I listen to more podcasts and music. And so it's, it's a blessing that that I'm talented to do music, but I'm like, how can I get out the message of, I know that it sucks, but it's going to be better and it's going to get better. And if you, if you want to listen to me, you want to hear me, you want to see my life, you'll realize that God's mercy endure forever. And he has grace for you when
0: you fall and when you call. So amen to that. that. Amen to that. And, uh, Mm -hmm. You know, Justin, I just want to thank you again for your time. Thank you so much for your story. Thank you for your courage. Uh, Thank you for what you continue to do to uplift and inspire others through music, through your faith in God, you know, through coming Mm -hmm. on our show like this. I'm sure that your message is going to touch people, and I know it's going to instill hope in them. And so thank you so much for uh, coming on with us and uh, spending a— Spending a few minutes with us to to tell us about your uh, your life story.
1: Now, did you ever think you'd be here now, thinking back over your life? Did you ever think you'd be right here?
2: My mom would always say it when yeah. I was a kid. Like you're gonna be singing and traveling and I remember being on a God's Not Dead tour. And I mean, I'm on I'm on like one of the biggest Christian tours with like um who's on that tour? Um uh God's Not Dead, what are they? Um, oh yeah. Newsboys, yes, Newsboys. Yes. 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 News so, we like, I'm on, saw him, like, I, right? So I'm on, I'm on the, I'm on tour there. Like, I mean, we're in Hawaii, and I just, I, I got on stage, and I wasn't half as popular as New boys or the Messengers and, and these big artists. But I was like, I was fifth on the roster going up. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? And, like, I remember coming out and um, they started my music early, but they all started singing it. And I just saw it out. Like, I couldn't even. And it's a song that wasn't even released. I just posted a clip, a, a one-minute clip on Instagram before we left the tour. And they're like, Cam yeah, know what the hell? They're just singing it. And I just was like, my mom promised me that this would be the life that I would live because I would always tell her I wanted to be a thug R&B singer. <laughs> like, I'm going to be a thug R&B singer. She's like, nope, uh-uh. God don't need me. He's going to be yep. for Lord. I was like, yeah, whatever. Corny, <laughs> I'm going to be a thug mom And like, I had that moment where I was like, wow. And so it's like, you know, you are still trusting the process. I
0: think you turned a mess into a message. For sure, he did. And um, I think you've turned brokenness into hope and healing for others. I think you've taken um, a life that was certainly a life where you could have thrown up your hands and said, I give up and completely headed down the wrong path and instead chose to head down. You know, a God honoring, faith filled, you know, uh, path. And so, just thank you, thank you for your courage, thank you for your um, time today sharing with us.
1: Yeah, thank you. Oh,
2: thank you, thank you, guys, thank you, guys. Actually, uh, me and the uh, worship pastor at um, District Church, we released a song called "Farewell Fear," and it's um, it's it just released uh, just recently. And so, if you guys want to check it out yeah farewell, farewell fear, fear. Yeah. why don't you farewell uh fear. yeah how do how do people connect
1: yeah, let with let you our listeners know how we can get a hold of you how we can listen to your music
2: all right so you can you can search me on all platforms at just that's G O S S, and then on on social media it's official justin.goss and that's how you get connected with me and um i would love to get connected with all of you guys and i would love to hear your story if you have a testimony of what you've been through and What God brought you out of. You know, um, I got stories for days This could have lasted 75 hours. Um, (laughs) So I I would love to hear your story. So feel free to DM me and if you need prayer or prayer requests, you can feel free to hit me up and me and my wife would love to connect
0: with you guys oh yeah. we're, we're definitely going to do that as soon as we get past all this uh, corona crazy I, I can right. sense that we're going to we're going to share a meal together and, yeah. and sit down together we'd love wait. to connect with I'm you I'm sure
1: you're going to have a lot of listeners reaching out looking for some prayer requests especially yeah. now that's what I'm
0: talking about yeah. I'm with it I'm with it it's my
1: favorite thing yes
0: well thank you again for your time really appreciate it you've uh, you've been a riveting guest and a phenomenal story a God honoring story and, and uh, we, we appreciate it very much
2: Yeah, well, thank you, guys. I love you guys
1: already. Thank you.
0: We love you. you. Thank you. All right, Jen. So what did you think about our time with Justin?
1: I think Justin is a great guy. That was some heavy, heavy information, his story. Yeah. Um but yeah, I just, I mean, I thank him for sharing that because there sharing are, truth. there's so many people that have gone through the same situation, you know, it wasn't his fault and look, look who he is now, look what he's become. And he's, you know, an overachiever and, you know, kudos to that. Like, wow.
0: What, what a story about turning a mess into a message. Yeah. And it's just like God to take a circumstance like that,
1: mm-hmm.
0: pull him out of it Mm-hmm. And then allow him to be a beacon, yeah. a, a light for others in terms of the same situation. You're right. I mean, there's a lot of people that have stories of abuse as right. kids, whether it was sexual, whether it was verbal, whether right. it was physical, you know, stories of um, maybe feeling like you don't want to go on. Yeah. I mean, I just imagine him on the freeway, you know, car yeah. stop, like he's just wanting to have the pain yeah. end. He just, there was nothing Nothing left. He didn't have anything in his reservoir. Everything had been exhausted mm-hmm. and tapped and taken. Mm-hmm. And and and. there's yeah. just, what do you do?
1: It's definitely a story of hope because being in that situation, you know, how do you even think like, I'll get out of this? Yeah. You know, and he had that hope and, you know, he, he made it out. But like, I can't even imagine being so deep into it thinking that my life can be better. Yeah. It's it's hard.
0: I just I just hope that people that listen that may have experienced that mm-hmm. or touched that at some point in their life just see you know, here he is, he's married, he's got kids, he's thriving, he's a Christian music artist. Yeah. It's it's I mean all of that could have been lost. Right. You know, he the best part of his life could have been missed had mm-hmm. what he tried to accomplish on that freeway actually yeah. succeeded.
1: I think you have to realize that you are loved. There is somebody out there that can help you and just sit there and sit with you and listen. The
0: power of words, the power of a stranger yeah. interceding mm-hmm. in somebody's life. That, that was the message. Mm-hmm. Somebody out of nowhere stopped, cared enough for him to yes. ask him, are you hungry? Pivoted and then took him and then and spent time with him and invested in him with no motive. hmm that's a lesson. Right. That's a powerful lesson.
1: Yep. We are all God's children.
0: Have you done something for somebody lately? Do you recognize when somebody's hurting? Is there a way that you can give back? Is there anything that you can do for somebody else? And I think that his message is certainly one that mm-hmm. uh, resonates with that. It just, it makes me want to go out there and hug a stranger. Yeah. Yeah. You, makes, can't,
1: you can't do that right now.
0: <laughs> this don't is, don't
1: take it too far.
0: This is so true. I cannot go out there and do that right now, which is frustrating. But when when things clear up, when we're past COVID, I'm I'm telling y'all. I'm, I'm gonna be a mass hugger. Okay. I'm gonna go out there and hug a whole I bunch of people. I am ready
1: for this. Totally down for this. <laughs> hug everyone.
0: Well, with that in mind, I'm gonna leave you with my message for the day. Okay. Okay, because I think that uh this is very appropriate, a very appropriate message given what Justin had said. Darkness comes. In the middle of it, the future looks blank. The temptation to quit is huge. Don't. You're in good company. You will argue with yourself that there is no way forward. But with God, nothing is impossible. He has more ropes and ladders and tunnels out of pits than you can conceive. Wait. Pray without ceasing. Hope. Hope. That's a quote from John Piper.
1: I love that, Mr. John Piper.
0: I do as well. I think it was very appropriate given Justin's uh, you know, story with yeah. us. And uh, here's what I know. What do you know? I want to do this again. I'm thinking we should do it tomorrow. What do you think?
1: I think that's actually a fabulous idea. Let's do it. Okay.